It is good to worship with you uh, this morning. Uh, Let me just pray uh, a small prayer. Father, uh, we come to you now as we open your word and we ask that you would, by your spirit, warm our hearts, that you would show us Christ, that we would not simply gather in data and information, but you would use your word as a sharp sword that your word would pierce us, pierce our soul and our spirit. God, would we be changed? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope your Thanksgiving weekend was one that honored and reflected on the goodness of God in your life. Uh, Please grab a copy of the scriptures and turn to Galatians chapter 4. This morning, we are considering what it means to be a child. There may be many things that come to mind. Here's some different ways our culture explains the meaning of being a child. A child is a young person 18 years old or younger. A person of any age in relation to their parents. Never stop being a kid or a mom or dad. A child is an unborn infant or baby. A person with childlike interests, Star Wars fans. A child is someone who is immature. The young of the human species. The product of environment and parenting. An undeveloped human. And here's my favorite. Children are little but perfect humans Literally, and they didn't have any kids. (laughs) Now, some of these meanings carry more weight than others, but none of them, none of them communicate the same splendor and the same glory as the scriptures. The biblical definition, as some would say, it just hits different. The main idea I'd like us to come away with this morning is Jesus is enough because being a child of God is enough. This has significant implications on our lives as faithful followers to those who are young and those who are old. Let's be honest. It's common for many to not feel valuable in the local church. Older people aren't approached for the experience and the wisdom they may possess, but they're put off to the side because they're outdated or old-fashioned. Younger people in our churches feel marginalized because their inexperience, their energy, and their growing maturity, they're not seen as assets. Really, they're seen as an inconvenience and not a resource. There is a lack of felt value in the body of Christ, and it's not simply unbiblical. It's literally what destroys churches. When the local church fails to truly grasp the reality and the beauty of every individual believer being a child, a son, an heir, well, when you fail to grasp that, only fracturing and destruction can take place. 
And really, brothers and sisters, this is the letter of Galatians. Paul writes to these Galatian believers because they too misunderstood what it meant to be a child of God. They thought it meant that they had to earn their way into the family of God. They thought it meant performing so that they could remain a child of God and not lose their adoption. They too felt a lack of value. So Paul writes to them in our passage to remind them, to remind them who they are in Christ and what it truly means to be a child. So consider with me first, a child without Christ. Uh, Read please verses 1 and 2. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Now, the first thing we must do in our passage is to address this word we read in verse 1, slave. Paul uses this word 32 times in his writing, and he even refers to himself as a slave. And if we're honest, this word is very abrasive to 21st century readers and hearers, because in our culture, we immediately think of a kind of slavery that even our own country Uh, was known for in the past. The the buying, the selling, and the abuse of humanity in a slave industry. As some commentators note on this passage, there are multiple uses of the word slave in the New Testament, but largely it's used to describe a bond servant. During Paul's day in the Roman Empire, a bond servant would be under contract to a master for seven years years. And when the contract was over, the person was let go. He was given a wage and he was declared free. There is nuance in Paul's writing, however. Context can imply slavery means an absolute ownership to God. He does this in Romans 6 and we'll mention it in a moment. But most often, the Roman cultural understanding of servant, bond servant, is what Paul is addressing. So the point here is not, well, really the point here is first, that slave and servant are synonymous. One person wrote, it's the idea basically that the servant or the slave is not his own master. He can't call the shots. So we come to verse 1. Paul's not suggesting that children are slaves. And all the kids are happy about that. Parents, you know, we got to deal with that. Children are not slaves. Paul's not saying that. But rather, he's making a connection between a child being treated as a servant rather than a son. And a child without Christ is like a servant or a slave. He's not treated as a son. And he's he's a slave, he's, he's a servant without Christ in two ways. First, A child without Christ is a slave to guardians. It says that in verse 1 and 2. Verse 2, but rather he's under guardians and managers. So we read this explicitly, but think for a moment about the culture that Paul's writing to. 
It's true to some extent in our day, but not as common. In Luke 15, there is a man, a father with two sons. They will one day inherit his business. They'll get his money. They'll get his home. But they are heirs. And while they are infants, while they're children, while they're underage, they don't get all of dad's stuff yet, do they? Not until the father dies or they themselves become men and they take over for their dad. So while these sons are waiting for their inheritance, Paul is saying they are no different than a servant or a worker. They actually, these sons, they might have to report to one of dad's employees or managers until the date is set for them to own it all. So Luke 15, this parable, it's often called the prodigal son. I'm a snob. I don't like that title. I think the, the parable is more about the father than the son. So it should be called the parable of the loving father. Anyway, that, that was free. What does the first son say to his father in Luke 15, 12? I'll put it on the screen. Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. Dad, I'm tired. I'm tired of being no different than a servant. I have an inheritance, inheritance coming to me, but here I am. I'm a servant to your guardians and to your managers. I don't want to be a servant. I don't want to wait my turn to owe everything, own everything. I don't, I don't want to wait around until you're dead, Dad. I want it now. I want the inheritance. So back to our passage in Galatians 4 a slave to guardians. The first two words of verse 1 clue us in on what Paul is driving at. The first two words, he says, I mean. Well, he now in our passage is explaining what he just got done saying in our passage last week, that the law was our guardian until Christ came. Paul's telling us that just as a child is under a guardian or a manager until the right time to receive an inheritance, so too we are under the law as a guardian until it is time for us to see our need of Christ, to shed the restraint of the law, and to receive a true inheritance in Jesus. But a child without Christ, they're not simply a slave or a servant to guardians and managers and the law, but they're a slave and they're a servant to sin. Look at verse 3. In the same way, we also, we, all of us, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. This language is really clarifying as it relates to the idea of sin and the condition of each of us apart from Jesus, before Jesus, a child without Jesus. We talked some last week about sin and transgressions. It's not simply the idea of doing wrong, but going beyond the limit, like the speed limit, the lead foot grandmas we talked about last week. It's, that's what transgression is. We've gone beyond the limit beyond the moral calling that God would require of us. Now here, in our passage, Paul adds more nuance to, really, our moral corruption. We are, he says, enslaved. 
Well, enslaved to what? Enslaved to our own sin, to the influence of the world, those elementary principles. Or as Paul says in Ephesians 2, yeah, you're enslaved not just to your sin and to the world, but even the evil one himself. A child without Christ is a servant or a slave to sin. Now, does this mean a child, someone outside of Christ, is absolutely as bad as they could be? No. No, not at all. But rather, it means that every part of their life, before Christ, every part of your life, your character, your actions, your words, and your choices, well, they're influenced and conditioned by sin and those elementary principles, the influence of the world, things that are contrary to Christ. That's a child without Christ. Paul uses this same word enslaved in Romans 6, 6.22. This is what he says. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, Same word, enslaved to God. The idea being this, a faithful follower of Christ is conditioned and has their controlling influence being the Holy Spirit, God himself. God himself. Now, Paul uses back in our passage here in Galatians 4, he uses this word enslaved to paint a dark picture of a child without Christ. Before being a faithful follower, we were enslaved, conditioned and controlled by sin in the world. Here's a good question. And really, this is what Paul's writing to the Galatians for. Why would you want to go back to slavery? If without Christ, you were a slave and a servant to the law and to your own sin and to the world, why would you go back? Before Christ, you were a servant to things contrary to Jesus. And Galatian believers, when you add to the gospel, when you say Jesus isn't enough, when you play fuzzy math and you say you have to maintain the requirements of the Old Testament law to be saved, to be right with God, in your Christian life, you're going back to slavery. You're going back to being a servant. And my friends, can I just say, we do this to ourselves and to the people around us. When we put stipulations on ourselves, like, well, (laughs) I'm not right with God unless I do X, Y, and Z, you're putting a yoke of slavery on yourself. You parents, if you have extra biblical requirements of your kids, you're sending them to slavery. We fall into this trap continually of doing what the Galatian churches were doing. Building your life and your acceptance on your performance. That's slavery. That's slavery. And there is, Paul says, something so much better. A child without Christ, yes, they are a slave to the law and sin. But Paul here now shows us next the life of a child with Christ in verses 4 through 7. 
And these verses are glorious. They will literally, quite literally, change your life and the lives of those that you care about. These verses declare the value of every faithful follower of Christ, regardless of age, regardless of gender, profession, education, earthly loyalties, physical or mental ailments. You are eternally valuable in Christ. Valuable. We see this in two ways. A child with Christ. We see the child with Christ and the rescue of a son. Read verses 4 and 5, please. But, in contrast, but, without Christ you were a slave to sin, to the law, to the world. Verse 4, but, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Oh, I love these verses. It's good news. It's the good news. It's the gospel in one sentence. We were slaves to the guardian, the law, the manager, and we were hoping one day an inheritance would come. We were slaves to our sin. It controlled and conditioned our life away from God. But... At the fullness of time, at the appointed time, it wasn't some cosmic accident or coincidence, but God divinely appointed a time for his son to come to earth, for the God-man Jesus to take on flesh, to be born of a woman, to be born under the requirements of the law, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. He was born. He was born to die. He was born to redeem. He was born to buy us out of slavery from the law and sin. And really, that's what we're going to be celebrating this next month during Advent season. What is Christmas? The celebration of verse 5. At the appointed time, God sent his Son. Sometimes we have this idea that Christmas is, well, oh, little baby Jesus. Yeah, he was just a baby for a little bit. I mean, he was, he was born to become a man, to die. And, you know, he, he came to rescue us. And, and, and the question in my mind was, why? Why, did, why was the appointed time? Why was he born of a woman, under the law, fulfilled the law, died to redeem us? Why? Why would the triune God of the universe do all that? But did you guys skip over the end of verse 5? Look at it again. So that, purpose statement, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So, wait a minute. Jesus was born to die. He came at the appointed time so that we would earn our adoption? So that we would work really, really hard to be a child? So that we would prove ourselves worthy of being a child? No, that's ridiculous. None of you have ever done that as a parent. I don't go around like, all right, kids, listen. Mom and dad, we brought you into this world and we can take you out of this world. 
So from here on out, kids, you need to prove that you're my kid. You need to prove. And you got to do those chores, make those beds, get those grades, perform, and be the, the quiet, respectable little kids in public that we, that we want you to be. And if you do all that, I'll still call you my child. No. No, we would never do that. So, Jesus, in planning with the Father and the Spirit, works it so that we would receive adoption as sons. It's the gift of God. It's not our own doing. So that no one would boast, Ephesians 2 says. I love how the Apostle John references our adoption in John 1.12. Listen to this. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Oh, I love that. To all who received him, to believe in him, to, to those who trusted in him, they became the children of God. No qualification. It says to all. Here's how one catechism explains adoption. Question, what is adoption? Answer, adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges, the privileges of the sons of God. Oh, that is glorious. That's what I've been given as an adopted child. I have a right. I'm one of the number. I have a, a, an end to all the privileges of God. A child with Christ has been rescued, received into number, and they have all the privileges, all of them. That leads to the second way we see a child with Christ, namely the privileges, not just the rescue of a son, what, what, what the privileges of a son? Look at verse 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What exactly are the privileges of sonship? And how do they affect our lives today? Well, I want to bring a few privileges out, this text, to bring to our attention. The first privilege is the privilege of kinship. Kinship. Who are the sons who've been adopted? Who are they? Well, it's those who've been redeemed and saved by Jesus. And as Paul said in Galatians 3.29, it's the offspring of Abraham. That, that's who's been adopted, the offspring of Abraham. Well, who's the offspring of Abraham? Those connected to Jesus. Oh, okay, so who are the sons? The sons of God are men and women who trust in Jesus and his gospel. The sons of God are equal. Just as we read last week, there is no male and female. Is, is Paul making a statement about biology? No. 
Is Paul making a statement on the function of men and women? No. Paul is saying that men, women, children, and adults, they're equally, equally sons. We have the great privilege of kinship. You have the privilege of walking through this life with brothers and sisters in Christ. Many today lack family. Or we have dysfunctional families. Or even relatively healthy families who are far from perfect. Regardless of the family you've come from, you've been adopted into a community with brothers and sisters. You're all sons. You know, one of the core values of Lakewood Church is this relational community. Well, of course it's relational community. You're you're brothers and sisters with one another. That's relational. That's in relationship. Man, what a privilege. The privilege of kinship. The privilege of walking, as Bunyan says, this dangerous journey. Not alone. But as you come in, you have your brothers and sisters next to you. The second privilege I want to point out is the privilege of intimacy. I get this directly from verse 6. God has sent the Spirit of the Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the Holy Spirit sent by the Father and the Son, Jesus, is put into our hearts. The Scripture teaches that God, He doesn't simply live near us or by us or in the vicinity or even just with us. He lives in us. This kind of intimacy provides us with access that no one ever had before. So these Galatian churches wanting to adhere to the Old Testament law, well, this is what it was like in the Old Testament. God's presence was available in a room that only the high priest could go into. You know what they did with that guy? They would tie a rope around his waist because If the high priest dude went into the holy place in an improper way, he would drop dead. They would drag him out with the rope. So Paul says, you you Galatians, you want to go back to the law? You want to go back to where God isn't intimate and available? Jesus. Jesus is enough. He offers something so much better. God in you. Access to the Father. Not in a cold way, not in a distant way, but in a real relational way in which we can even call on Him with affection. Abba. Father. Now, there are many of us who struggle with the concept of intimacy with the Father. Because we ourselves haven't had it with our fathers. Or we're just dads who fail and struggle to express that. One of the great privileges of being a son of God is having a relationship with a father that supersedes anything that this world can offer. And for many, it may be the only fatherly embrace they've ever known. But not just kinship and intimacy, there's also this third privilege, 
a privilege of inheritance. I get this directly from verse 7. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is a shocking verse. Shocking verse. Especially to women in that culture. And any woman who comes from an Eastern culture today. You mean this old tradition of fathers leaving an inheritance for their sons? (laughs) That includes daughters too? If men and women are the sons of God. There's no male and female. They're equal. We get an inheritance too? We're all sons, so we all get part of it. There is so much of an inheritance even from God that no one lacks. Every cup is full and every desire is met. Think back to those two brothers we're talking about in Luke 15. One son squandered away his father's money. The other son squandered away his father's love, regardless of what they both had done. The loving father has an inheritance for them. Isn't that precious? Isn't that beautiful? So as a son, as an adopted child, whether I squander away the money on immoral living, or I'm a legalist who rejects his grace, there is a father there who communicates he still has an inheritance for me. He says this in Luke 15, the father. Yeah, you ran off this direction, you ran off this direction, Luke 15. All that is mine is yours. All that's mine is yours. The gracious inheritance. You may get nothing when your earthly parents die, but God has given you an inheritance in Christ. So here's the natural question that comes next. Uh, I hope you children are excited for Christmas. What's the number one question for Christmas? Uh, What is it? What's in the box? Yeah, there's boxes next to the tree. They're wrapped What's inside? I got to know. And growing up, I always had a way of, you know, getting it out of my mom. You know, clues, guesses, and she would just kind of spill the beans. I always found out. I love that. And I think we have the same question. What is the inheritance? Okay, I get the inheritance. I'm a son, man, or woman. I get the inheritance from God. Great. What is it? What is the inheritance? Our inheritance in Christ is the world. The new heavens and the new earth. And most beautifully, our inheritance is to be with him. Here's how the end of human history in Revelation 21.3 puts it. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. What's our inheritance? Our inheritance is the final and forever embrace 
of a loving father. That's your inheritance, Christian. The final and forever embrace of a loving father. Brothers and sisters, we get him. The ultimate privilege is living this life with God in us and the next life with God fully in his presence. If we are sons, if we are sons, if we've been adopted and changed and trusted in Jesus and we're counted as one of the children and we have rights to all the privileges, well, can I challenge us? Can I encourage us to live out these two things this next week? And it can be summed up this way. Really, it's a prescription. My prescription for you this week is to celebrate and to faithfully follow. So celebrate. Having not grown up in the church, God saved me when I was 20 years old. And here's something I've always, I've always struggled to understand. Why are there so many grumpy Christians? You laugh because it's true. No doubt we are humans like all the rest and we live in a broken world. Yes, we've been redeemed and changed, but we're not perfect. So we're prone for a grumpy moment or two, aren't we? Well, we also do no one any good by being fake and wearing our best clothes on Sunday and pretending life is perfect. That doesn't help anything. And we don't do anyone any good by pretending on social media either, either, just so you guys know. Instagram and Facebook are not real life. You know that. Kids, it's not real. But in spite of the brokenness, in spite of our frailty, in spite of our circumstances, shouldn't it be rare? Shouldn't it be rare? to meet a scowl or a bitter complaint in church? Even in our circumstances and our personal gripes, shouldn't we be a people who celebrate? Paul comes in and tells these Galatian churches, he tells Lakewood Church, you are sons of God. You have an inheritance that blows anything out of this, in this life, out of the water. It's so much better. You have an inheritance. Your preferences aren't met. Who cares? It's like receiving a billion dollar check and you're complaining because you don't like the color it's written on. Oh, that's silly. We have an inheritance. We have Jesus and all the promises of God that are found in him. We should celebrate. We should be a people who live like it. But not just celebrating, faithfully following. Also, this week, in light of being a son, in light of being an heir, let's purpose right now to live this week as a faithful follower of Christ. The beauty is, it doesn't require you to live a different life. In the life that God has given you, yes, your life, that life that you have, run to the simple means of grace that God commands us to. So this week, pray. 
Read the scriptures. Serve the church. Talk to your neighbor or your unsaved family member. Reach the world. Will you commit to faithfully do these things this week? Trusting and obeying that God is not, uh, well, and really following him, doing all the duties of the Christian life, it's not the result of being guilted to do more or to earn our way to please God. We don't do those things to earn our pleasure with God. Didn't you hear? We're the sons. We're the heirs. We have a loving Father who accepts us because Jesus is enough. He's changed us. He's indwelt us. He's laid up an inheritance now. And in the next life, we will truly, it will truly satisfy our soul. So of course, of course we will follow him. Of course we will obey his commands. We trust our Father. He's good. By God's grace, Lakewood, we already are a church that relishes in adoption. We cherish the fact that we're a child of God. We already do this. And by God's grace, we are a church already celebrating and faithfully following Christ. May we do it even more. Because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough because being a child of God is enough. Let me read for you just an encouraging section talking about adoption. Those two sons in Luke 15. It's the whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson. And he says this. The anti-law prodigal son, when awakened, was tempted to legalism. He said, I will go and be a slave in my father's house and thus, perhaps, gain grace in his eyes. But that son was bathed in his father's grace and set free to live as an obedient son. The legalistic older brother never tasted his father's grace. Because of his legalism, he had never been able to enjoy the privileges of the father's house. Between them stood the father, offering free grace to both, without prior qualifications in either. Had the older brother embraced his father, he would have found grace that would have made every duty a delight and dissolved the hardness of his servile heart. Had that been the case, his once anti-law brother would surely have felt free to come out to him as the father had done and say this, isn't, isn't the grace we've been shown and given simply amazing? Let us, brother, forevermore live in obedience to every wish of our gracious father. And arm in arm, these brothers could have gone in to dance at the party, sons and brothers together, a glorious testimony to the Father's love. But it wasn't so, was it? It wasn't so. They failed to relish in what it meant to be a child of God. What about us, Lakewood? 
will we turn to our brother and sister? Will we embrace them and link arm in arm and go to the dance at the party? Is dancing allowed here? I'm just asking. Okay, it is. Will you and I, in light of our union in Christ, in light of our relational community as sons, as heirs, as equals, will you and I embrace and link arms and go to the dance and cry out, isn't the grace of God so mighty and good? With great pleasure, we are faithful followers in Christ. With great pleasure, we obey his commands. With great pleasure, we love one another. God help us. If there's some dancing afterwards, I'll be totally cool with that. We should. Let's pray now. Father, thank you. Thank you for your kindness to us. As children apart from Christ, we were, yes, servants and slaves to the law, to sin, but at the appointed time, you rescued us, you changed us. To all who believed, to all who received his name, they were given the privileges to become the children of God. We have been adopted, God. Thank you. And I pray that we would rejoice and celebrate and dance in light of our rescue. That we would relish in the privileges that we have as sons. We get you. We get one another. So Lord, as we go out this week, would you uh, enliven and enlarge our hearts to love you and to love our neighbor. God, would you help us this week be faithful followers of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.